it's always fun to to come and gather together, especially at a time like this as we are, are so close to Thanksgiving and then uh, right around the corner after Thanksgiving we're, we're celebrating Christmas. So it, it, it's getting to that end of the year time where so many things are coming to a head and it's a really fun and exciting time. Uh, we'll be decorating the church for Christmas in less than two weeks and it, it's just an exciting thing to see people come together, uh, to see the building kind of take on that, uh, all those Christmas decorations, and to just partake in the Christmas celebrations. But this morning, as we look at God's Word, and we'll be looking at a few verses from Colossians chapter 1, uh, we'll be looking at reasons we have to be thankful, and particularly who we have to be thankful to. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, in a moment we'll look at verses 12 and 13 in a sermon that I've titled, Special Thanks to God. Special Thanks to God. A mother and her daughter were walking home one night when the daughter suddenly turned to her mother and said, Mother, I'm going to count all the stars. Very well, the mother said. Go on. By and by, she heard her counting. 224, 225. Oh dear, she said. I had no idea there were so many. When was the last time you stopped to count your blessings and found that there were far too many for you to count. When was the last time that you stopped to offer your thanks and appreciation to God for the innumerable blessings that he has bestowed upon you? A lot of times we just expect life to go a certain way. And when it doesn't, we feel as if we have no blessing from God, as if we have no reason to praise Him and no reason to show Him our thanks uh, and to be thankful unto Him. It's interesting how we can easily take God's blessings for granted and not look at things that are blessings as blessings. And rather than showing Him our thanks, we come to expect certain things to be there every day as if these are things that He owes to us. For whatever reason, we are quick to forget God's blessings or because we've received so many of them and on a very consistent basis, we've received them. We no longer view them as God's blessings. Someone has said, we are prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. I think there's a lot of truth in that, that at least for myself, because it is often the case that for whatever reason, we remember the trials of life and the afflictions of life more so than we remember the many blessings that God has given to us. And as you know, if you've ever done something in the sand, when the wind blows, it's gone, it's forgotten. Or if you're on the beach, the water comes, the tide comes in, and it just washes away whatever you've done in the sand. And so it's not remembered anymore. That's the idea. And what makes matters worse is that the blessings that we've received from God far outweigh the trials that we've ever experienced. What a difference it makes when you start writing down all the blessings we have from God and, and read them over. I've encouraged people who are discouraged to start making note and count all the blessings you have and go month by month in a little journal writing down every little thing that God has done, every little blessing that you've received from Him and then at the end of the month go back and read all the all the innumerable blessings that God has given to you and suddenly you start to put things in a proper perspective and realize that 
the blessings far outweigh the trials of life. I guarantee that you will be like the little girl who thought she could count all the stars in the night sky and only found out that there were far too many to be counted. Two angels were sent from heaven, each with a basket. They were to bring back the prayers and the thanksgivings of all those that are on earth. The angel of thanksgiving started with a, a large hamper. The collector of petitions started with a small basket. But when they returned, each was in trouble. The petitions overflowed the small basket to the point that a second basket was needed, while the angel of thanksgiving only had three in his large hamper. So we are ever ready to pray for things we want, but having received them, too often forget to thank the giver for what he's given. As we're a few days from Thanksgiving, let's switch gears. Let's do something we don't do enough of, and that is give thanks to God. Based on the continuous flow of blessings that God has bestowed upon us, Let's seek God's help to refocus our minds so that we demonstrate a true spirit of thanksgiving. Look at what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. These verses, and there's doesn't seem like there's a whole lot there, but they contain a treasure trove of riches for us. There is so much here that speak of the believer's reasons to be forever thankful to God for his goodness and for his bountiful blessings. These two verses are actually part of one sentence that stretches across nine verses. And the Apostle Paul is telling the believers in Colossae that he is continually praying for them and thanking God for the work that God is doing through them. He's encouraged by their faithfulness to God and he prays that they would continue to grow in closer fellowship with God in every way. And one of the ways they do this is through the verses that we'll look at this morning. Again, he says, giving thanks unto the Father. This is part of what he's praying for. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. He reminds them to always be thankful to God. And even believers who are, are doing as they should need to be reminded to continually give praise and thanksgiving to God. You read through Colossians chapter 1 and you find that Paul is commending them for how good they've been. They're not perfect, certainly, but he's not admonishing them. He's commending them for their faithfulness and their devotion to God. And he says, I'm still praying for you that you would get even closer to God, that you would be reminded to constantly be giving thanks to God, who is the author of all the blessings that you have been bestowed with. Remind yourself of who God is to you. It doesn't matter who you are, how often you read your Bible, how many times you've even read your Bible from cover to cover. We all need to be actively giving thanks to God. And this happens by reminding ourselves of who God is to us personally, reminding ourselves of how much God loves us, reminding ourselves of what God has done for you personally, 
and how great his love is to you. Remind yourself of the finished work of Jesus Christ that has brought salvation to you. Remind yourself of the life that Jesus has saved you from. Remind yourself of the life that God has now promised you as you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Constant reminders of who God is, what he's done for you, will keep your praises and the thanksgivings to God flowing. Now, as we consider the attitude of thanksgiving towards God, I'm going to be a little nitpicky this morning as we look at what the Bible says here in Colossians chapter 1. Look again what it says here specifically. It says, giving thanks unto the Father. Giving thanks unto the Father. It goes on to say that in verse 13, that he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So first two people of the Godhead are spoken of here. But I want to focus on giving thanks unto the Father. And I mentioned I'm, I'm nitpicking here just a little bit. It's not to say that we're not to give thanks to God the Son or even to God the Holy Spirit, but this verse specifically says that we're to give thanks unto the Father, God the Father. A lot of the time, we offer thanks to God in, in a very general sense. We don't specify, it's God the Holy Spirit I'm talking about here, or it's God the Son that I'm talking about here, or God the Father. We just use the term God in a very general and loose sense. And a lot of the times that we offer thanks to God in this general sense, the, the last time, when, but when was the last time you specifically thought about who you're offering your praise and thanksgiving to, and when was the last time that you offered it to your Heavenly Father? Now, I know, I know as I mentioned, I'm nitpicking here, and it seems a lot more like semantics than anything, but in order to elevate our appreciation, in order to elevate our gratitude towards God our Father, I want to draw your attention to these specific verses and to what it's saying here in Colossians chapter 1. There are several blessings that we have from God that I'd like you to see this morning. And first, that God has made us sufficient to receive a heavenly inheritance through Jesus Christ. And second, that we have long been the objects of God's mercy. One looks to the future, the other goes back to the past. But each is as significant, each is equally as important as the other. And then we'll look as to how these two relate together. Now, as much as we enjoy getting together with family, eating delicious food, enjoying the change of the seasons, which we had a little bit of a dusting of snow this morning, let's make it a point to be mindful of all we have to be thankful for from God. So notice, first of all, our present blessing. Our present blessing. Look again at what it says in verse number 12, Colossians chapter 1. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. A lot of times as we think about what blessings and what promises we have of God... Most of the time, we're only thinking about the future. Most of the time, we're thinking about what is still awaiting us. We know that as believers, we're promised a home in heaven. We're promised a glorified body. Praise the Lord for that. We are promised a, a home where we're forever going to be in the presence of God. And that's the real joy of heaven. Not the mansion, not the glorified body, but the presence of God. That's the joy of heaven. All of these are incredibly wonderful. And we should be groaning for them, as Romans tells us, that we're eager to be in the presence of God because the moment you're saved, you're no longer part of this world, but you're called to a citizenship in heaven where this world, as the song says, is we're just a passing through. And so our spirit within us groans for that heavenly inheritance that we know we have. And this, these verses speak about that. Uh, but there are, there are plenty of present blessings 
that God has given to each of his children as well. We don't live in misery here on earth as believers, only looking forward to future blessings with nothing to be excited about now and no blessings that God is giving us today. The blessings that God has given us are now are real and they're all for our enjoyment. In verse 12, it states that God has made us, it says, meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What that verse is telling us is that God has made us fit for heaven. And he's made us fit for heaven today. He's made us fit for heaven today. God has prepared us for a heavenly inheritance and he's done this the very moment he saves you. You are fit for heaven if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now that doesn't mean that God is going to take you home today or even the moment he saves you. That would be nice. But the moment he does save you, you are ready to receive your heavenly inheritance. This has nothing to do with whether or not you are ready or whether or not you have prepared enough, but has everything to do with the fact that you have been made ready for the heavenly inheritance that God has prepared for us. This has, again, all, all in the working of Christ. God has made us ready by the righteousness of Christ that he has imputed upon us the very moment that we have been saved. He has put Christ's righteousness on our account. He doesn't start a process by which he is transferring Christ's righteousness over a set amount of time, and then we're getting ready, or then we're eventually ready after a certain amount of time, but we are ready the very moment we are saved to be received into heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verses 17 and 21, it tells us, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. For he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What makes you presently ready is Christ's righteousness, which has been placed onto your account through faith in him the very moment you're saved. Nothing else has to be done in order for you to be accepted into heaven because Christ has done it all and he's transferred it all to your account the very moment you trusted in him as your savior. It may be that you might still live another 50 years after you're saved before God brings you home. But the very moment you believe on Jesus Christ, you are ready for heaven, you are presently blessed. This is what he's saying here. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That word meet means sufficient. It means suited. It means fitted. You've been fitted for this. You've been equipped for this. You've been prepared for this because he's done all the work for you. So the moment you're saved, you're presently blessed. You don't have to look forward to a time when you're finally going to be blessed in heaven, but you're presently blessed today. Now, does this mean that you're going to be perfect? Shake your head like this. No way. You're not going to be perfect. Does this mean that once you're saved, you're never going to sin again? No way. Of course you're not perfect. But perfection is implied. And will be given to every believer as a result of their faith and trust in Christ, just not while we're living here on earth. And what this verse is telling us is that we're not perfect, but that we've been fitted for perfection. We have been made sufficient for our heavenly entrance. We've been made a child of God the moment we're saved. And therefore, we presently and eternally belong to him, regardless of whether geographically we're here or we're in glory. Listen to what we're told in Galatians chapter 4. 
in verses four through seven. The Bible says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God has made us, he says here in Colossians 1 verse 12, meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God has fitted us for our heavenly inheritance by adopting us as his own. It's not that he's working on the paperwork and won't finish until we're finally received into heaven. It is official the very moment we're saved. And his seal of making that official is by giving us the Holy Spirit. It is official. It is eternal and it is immediate. A heavenly father is the one who has bestowed this upon us in whom we can always cry out to because the Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. God has suited us. God has made us sufficient, not in anything that we've done, but in everything that his son, Jesus Christ, has done and in his righteousness to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now think about it this way. When a child is born, they have all the same organs they have all the same limbs and body parts that a fully grown adult has, right? Babies don't grow arms and legs outside of the womb, do they? They don't grow eyes and, and ears after they've been born. And as God forms them in the womb, they develop, they grow. I don't know why I did this because God's not forming anything in this womb. There's no womb here. Sorry. I thought about it as I put my hands here. I'm thinking, what are they thinking? As he's forming these children in the womb, they develop, they grow, but once they're born, they have what they're going to have for the rest of their lives. What we do see, though, is that their senses take some time to develop, as well as their maturity and their understanding. It's really neat to see this, how a, a baby goes through some of these changes, specifically with sight. Now again, babies are born with two eyes. As adults, you still have two eyes. But they're born with two eyes but cannot initially see great distances. As the baby grows and the sense of sight develops, you can tell that he's able to discern a little further away than what he used to when he was first born. I went home for lunch one day this week. And as I, soon as I stepped in the house... I had a field of vision into Levi's room, and Ruthie was changing Levi on his changing table, and she had him upright, and he looked over and saw me come through the door, and there was an instant recognition with him, even from a considerable amount of distance, and he started bouncing up and down on that changing table with excitement. There was a smile on his face that was as wide as can be on a nine-month-old. And he is almost leaping out of her arms as he sees dad walk in the door, just so thrilled beyond imagination and barely able to be contained as he's seeing me come in. When he was first born, 
you needed to be almost face to face with him before there seemed to be any sort of acknowledgement. And, and maybe he just realized how goofy looking I am now that he thinks it's so funny. But we see this development in their eyes over time. And the same is true with a baby's sense of hearing as well. It never happens that after a baby is born, immediately that they have perfect vision or perfect hearing. They things, these things develop. Um, you never see it where a baby is born that they grow an extra ear or they grow a second nose or anything like that. Everything that God has given to that child will expand, it'll enlarge, but God has given everything they, they need to be that person. Life begins at conception, and the Lord forms that little body, that little baby, inside the womb. And once that baby is born, it has everything it will need for life outside the womb. When someone is born again, a similar transformation is seen. The moment that you believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, immediately, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, you are made a new creature, a new creation in Christ. Your physical appearance doesn't change. You don't get a halo over your head or a, a beam of light that just follows you everywhere you go so that now you're marked as a child of God because you trusted in Jesus Christ. Your physical appearance doesn't change, but you have been given spiritual life. God gives you at the very moment of salvation, everything you need for your heavenly inheritance. Your life could end right after you trust in Jesus and you'll be in heaven. You have everything you need for heaven because just like a little baby that is born, it is born with everything he needs for life outside the womb, there are parts of you that may be in the development process, but your salvation is never in the development process. You're saved and you're saved entirely right then and there. You have everything you need for heaven because you're immediately saved. You're not in the process of being saved where God is working on it and finalizing all the details. And then once, after five or ten or twenty years or so, then you'll finally be saved. No, you're saved immediately. The moment you're saved, God can bring you home at any time. God doesn't save you and then start the spiritual development process in you, which then takes you 50 years for you to be fit to come to heaven. You're fit for heaven the very moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible's telling us here. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has suited you to be one of these saints, to have this heavenly inheritance. He has fitted you, and he's done so the very moment that you came to Christ. God doesn't save you and then start this process. Now, some of us develop and mature more, uh, especially if we've been saved at an early age and we've been in the church and we've been reading our Bibles and we've been faithfully serving God. Do we see a lot more development? We see a lot more maturity here on earth before we're received into heaven, but we're ready for heaven the very moment that we're saved. There are some people who are saved on their deathbed, that they've lived... 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it may be, in rejection of Christ. And on their deathbed, with their last final words, they believe in Jesus Christ on their, as their Savior. Does God say, all right, I'm going to send you back to earth so that we can start the spiritual development process in you. After 20, 30, maybe 40, 40 years, then you'll be ready for your entrance into heaven. No. The very moment you're saved, you're ready for your heavenly home. 
We're told, what we're told here in Colossians 1.12 is that in the true believer, everything is present for him to be sufficient, to be received into heaven. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. The work that God does upon the heart of the individual who trusts in him, it is full, it is complete, it is immediate. It doesn't need to be further developed. God does everything at the very moment we trust in him. And what I want you to see is that it is God the Father who suits us for this inheritance. Look at the passage again, and we'll look at how it's the Father's work. Again, it says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. It's still God the Father that's done this and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So as you're reading through this all, it's all God the Father doing this. Now again, I'm not trying to minimalize the working of Christ or even the Holy Spirit in this. I said at the beginning, I'm nitpicking here. Special thanks to the Father. Special thanks to God. We're giving praise to him for what he's done. He has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of light. He is the one who has delivered us out of the power of darkness. He is the one that has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The only reason we have an inheritance is because we have been adopted by God and have become his children. Listen to what we're told in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Did you catch that? The Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The Father bestows his love upon us and we are then called the sons of God. The moment a child is born, he is fitted for an inheritance. The moment we become God's sons and daughters, we are immediately fit for our inheritance in him. In Romans chapter 8 and verses 14 through 17, the Bible tells us, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So who are we crying out to? God the Father. It says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we have the Spirit of God living within us to give us the, 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 the confirmation, the definitive truth that we are God's child. He's living within us, the Spirit of God is, and thereby, thereby we know that we have God as our Father. And if children, it says, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. All three members of the Godhead are, are referenced here in these verses. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 years or for five minutes. You are immediately fit for an inheritance of heaven when you are saved. Adoption is what makes us sufficient to receive that inheritance. God gives us an inheritance through adoption, but he also makes us saints. The Bible says, again, he says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We're partaking of the inheritance of the saints. We're part of this group now, he's saying. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I read this earlier. But again, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Through faith in Christ, God makes us new creatures. He makes us saints. And according to what it says here in Colossians 1, 12 and 13, saints dwell in light. The light of knowledge, the light of purity, the light of joy, the light of love, the light of everything that is good and glorious. We're adopted by God and given an inheritance. We're made saints of God and we're set apart for him and by him. 
And as a result of this adoption and sanctification, God has brought light to our lives. We have a present blessing. Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Do you remember what he said to him? Earlier on, the Bible tells us that both thieves mocked and reviled him. But after some time, the one thief changes his mind. And Jesus says to him, Verily I say unto thee, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Minutes, minutes prior to this, both of these thieves reviled him. The Bible clearly says that. But then one of these thieves caught a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ and believed on him. And that thief was immediately fitted for heaven. There was no preparation that was needed. It is true that the older you get as a believer, the more of God's grace and God's mercy you receive, the more, in theory, you should be maturing spiritually. But that is speaking of the Holy Spirit's work in you once you're saved. The Holy Spirit comes. When God the Father saves you, though, and that Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within you, which happens immediately, you're immediately fitted for heaven. So we have a present blessing, but notice second. God's past mercy. God's past mercy. Again, notice what it says in these two verses. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Verse 13 explains how verse 12 is possible. Again, I want to read verse 13. It says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And now read verse 12, because verse 13 says how verse 12 is possible. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13 tells us how verse 12 all comes about. The past mercy of God has made it possible for believers to have a present blessing today. We don't like to think of it too much, but the truth of it is that each of us were once under the power of darkness. Maybe you were saved at a young age and you didn't fully come to terms with how serious and how dreadful the power of darkness really is. But if you were saved later in life, you know what I speak of. You know just how serious the power of darkness is. You know how influential it is. You know how powerful and just the, the spirit of bondage that you feel like you're in under the power of darkness. This is the place where God is rejected and ignored. And what a scary thought it is to be under the power of darkness. This is the place where our hearts are haunted by all sorts of things like superstition and vile lust and harmful passions. This is where we are dangling over an eternal flame, waiting in misery for a rope that is holding us to break and for us to drop to our eternal suffering. The powers of darkness are more awful than what we could ever spend time describing. Before we're saved, we're living in this utter darkness. We're living under the power of darkness, unable to see anything and know anything. The longer a sinner remains in that darkness, remains under the grips of the bondage of the power of darkness, the harder it is for them to even come to the light. Many embrace the pain and misery of the darkness, 
to the point that the thought of light sounds uncomfortable to them, unnatural to them, because they've just embraced the pain and the misery so much that the thought of even a brief ounce of relief is something that causes them to even cringe. The longer sinners continue in sin, the more they become permanent fixtures in the darkness. It doesn't matter how sensible and how logical God's word may be as it is presented to them. It is lost on the sinner who longs to dwell in that darkness. The powers of darkness are more dreadful than we can imagine. But praise the Lord for his past mercy, which has delivered us from the power of darkness through faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you may have only spent a short season in the darkness. Some of you may have been close to embracing the darkness and the full force of it. But if you believed on Jesus Christ, God has rescued you and delivered you from the power of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. And notice how verse 13 describes this wonderful event. Again, it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Believers have been translated, it says. God picked us up out of the mire, out of the misery, out of the darkness and planted us into the kingdom of his dear son. Think about what this word is saying. God didn't make the darkness less dark or less severe. God didn't shine a little bit of dark or a little bit of light into the darkness. God didn't bring us a little bit of relief in the midst of the darkness. God, it says, delivered us from the power of darkness. He caught us away from the darkness. And he translated us into the kingdom of his dear, dear son. With an outstretched arm, God picked us up out of the misery, out of the mire, out of the clay, and he planted us in a whole and brand new environment. What God does for every single sinner in bringing him salvation is nothing short of extraordinary. Who were any of us that we deserved to be delivered and translated? If anything, we deserve to remain forever under the power of darkness because that is what we got ourselves into and that is what we chose. And this is what makes the grace and the mercy of God so wonderful. Out of God's mercy, he has chosen to not keep us under the power of darkness that we deserve, but through faith in his dear son, he gives us the opportunities to be the beneficiaries of his grace. Not only do we not get what we deserve, which is eternal darkness, but we, re we receive what we don't deserve, eternal life. Sin was sovereign in our lives until the grace of God entered and dethroned it. With as much as we have received God's mercy and grace, I think we should endlessly be giving him praise and thanksgiving. You may not have seen how God did all of this in your life. You may not have a snapshot or even a visual as to what was happening on the spiritual realm where God delivered you out of the power of darkness and translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. But we know that God has done all of this and everything that is necessary for us to be saved. God has taken the entire tree, roots and all, and planted it in good soil. He purged and he pruned off the rough edges. All of the pride and all of the arrogance, but the tree is able to grow better in this good soil than it ever did before. God didn't just clean us up on the outside. He made us new creatures inside and out. 
Our problem was more than just skin deep. And that is why God has made us new creatures through and through. God delivered us completely from the taint of sin and brings us into the kingdom of his dear son. All of our songs of praise and thanksgiving should be offered to him who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And notice third, notice the connection between these two verses. Now you're obviously thinking, well, obviously they're connected. They're talking about the same idea here. How can they not be connected? But look at, look at what it says here. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. What does verse 13 have to do with believers being suited for heaven? Well, as you notice what these two verses say, there is a connection that we may not necessarily see right away. The inheritance that believers receive is light. Verse 13 tells us that God delivers us from darkness. So again, verse 12 says, He has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We were in darkness, as verse 13 says. We were under the power of darkness, but God delivered us from the power of darkness. And as verse 12 says, we are now the inheritance of the saints in light. In light. God giving us an inheritance in light is the same thing as him delivering us from the darkness. If God delivers us out of the powers of darkness, he brings us to the light. He is doing the work to make us meet, to be partakers of this heavenly inheritance. So as you look at the two verses again, you notice that it refers to believers partaking in that which saints partake in. And a saint is one who obeys the Son of God, and one who is a son of God. Verse 13 says that we have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We not only have the light of Christ, but we are also saints in Christ because we are in his kingdom. And as we think about the inheritance that is spoken of in verse number 12, is that not a reference to the kingdom of his dear son in verse number 13? What is the inheritance? But the inheritance is that we're members. We're able to be in the kingdom of his dear son. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you have been delivered out of darkness. You have been translated into the kingdom of his dear Son. You have been made a saint because of your union with Christ. You have been suited for a heavenly inheritance in the kingdom of God's Son. Heaven, heaven is a place of light. When we're delivered out of darkness, which only happens through faith in Christ, that is the meekness. That is what is suitable for us to be in light. As long as a person is spiritually apart from Christ, he is in darkness. But the very moment he is saved, he is delivered out of the darkness and into the light. It's not that there is a little bit of light that is now shining in the darkness, but a complete transformation that takes place immediately from utter darkness to absolute brilliant light. Heaven is the place of light. It is the place for God's children. It is the place that we are translated into when we're delivered from that darkness, which happens at the moment of salvation. We are made God's children, and thus we're suited and made meet to be partakers of such an inheritance. It is an inheritance, but not just a future inheritance, one that we get to enjoy now. In a few days, we're going to be getting together with friends and with family around probably a table full of delicious food. Whether you're hosting, whether you're going to someone's house, whether you're even going to a restaurant, You may even go around the room, go around the table, sharing different things that you have to be thankful for this year. If 
you're sure that you have been delivered out of darkness and translated into the light of the kingdom of God's dear son, may I remind you that you have one to whom a special thanks should be offered. If you're not sure about your salvation, please, please come and talk to me. Because God has made it clear that deliverance from darkness and translation into everlasting life comes only through believing in Jesus Christ. There may be some here today who have no eternal reason to be thankful. Maybe you're wondering what is going to happen to you after this life. But praise the Lord that you're here today. For there is no more need to despair. As long as you're alive here on earth and not in hell, the gates of God's mercy still stand wide open to receive all who call upon him. Come talk to me and we can go through the Bible and make sure that this Thanksgiving you have a true and an everlasting reason to be thankful to God for who he is and what he's done for you. The moment you believe on Jesus, you're made meet to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. The moment you believe on Jesus, you have been delivered from the power of darkness for God has translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. Never again be troubled by thoughts of sickness or thoughts of death, no matter when it comes, whether today, tomorrow, maybe even 50 years from now, you shall close your eyes here and open them to behold your Savior if you trusted in him personally. As believers, it is not always that we live with the confidence that we have been delivered, translated, even made saints and have this heavenly inheritance, but never be content until you have that confidence. May the word of God confirm it in you. May the Holy Spirit indwelling you confirm it in you. That through faith in Jesus Christ, God has made you as his child to be meet, to be a partaker of the inheritance in light, for he has delivered you out of darkness and has translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for so many different things. But Lord, here this morning, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father who has done all that these verses speak about and so much more. Lord, these verses give us a snapshot of the work that you've done for our salvation to be full and to be complete the very moment we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Thank you for not allowing it to be a process. Thank you for allowing it to be instantaneous and immediate. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to immediately be made meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light because you have indeed delivered us immediately from the power of darkness and immediately have you translated us into the kingdom of your dear son. Only you could have done this. Lord, so we give you special thanks today for the rest of our lives, as long as there's life and breath within us, may we show our gratitude and our appreciation to who you are and what you've done for us. In your son Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.